Genesis chapter number 3 this evening. And let's begin reading at verse number 1. We're just going to read the first seven verses of Genesis chapter number 3. The Word of God says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that You would bless the meeting tonight, that You'd bless the preaching of Your Word. Lord, we do know that You bless preaching. You've chosen preaching, Lord, the foolishness of preaching to save them which would believe. So, God, we ask, in accordance with Your Word, that You'd bless the preaching of Your Word tonight, that You'd speak to hearts, Lord, that You'd help us to not be ignorant of the wiles of the devil, help us to understand that he seeks not only our lives but our souls, He has destruction planned for us, Lord, and we're aware of that. Now help us to live in the consciousness of that truth and help us to be vigilant and to be sober and to live in a way that would glorify You, Lord. We do ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. In Genesis chapter number 3, we could preach a thousand messages on a thousand different points. But tonight I want us to focus on uh, three simple things Three lies that the devil told in the Garden of Eden. How many of you know that the devil is a liar from the beginning? That's what the Word of God says. It doesn't bother me when the devil tells me things because I know automatically that they're not true. Amen? Uh, there's probably not a week goes by that the devil doesn't try to tell me I'm a failure or try to tell me that there's no use in it, try to tell me just ought to quit, ought to throw up your hands. Uh, and uh, that gives me great encouragement. Because I know he's a liar. So that tells me uh, that there is a work being done. Amen? That tells me that the work is worth being done and that God takes note of it. And so the devil always lies about anything that he speaks about. He may try to wrap it in a few pieces of truth, but at the core of it is always a deceitful and dishonest thought and ideal. In the Garden of Eden, we have many things taking place. We have God has created... Mankind, He's placed him in a garden. He's provided everything that he could possibly need. But he's also given him a choice. I've had people say before that uh, before Adam uh, sinned, before he ate of the tree, he didn't know right from wrong. Well, I believe that's false because God gave him a choice. They knew that God had said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They did have a choice, and he gave man a choice. The Bible speaks of the serpent. We know who the serpent is. It's a constant theme through the Word of God that the serpent is the devil. He is Satan. You say, preacher, do you really believe that? Yes, I really believe that. I am a literalist when it comes to the interpretation of the Word of God. You say, does that mean that the Bible has no allegory in it? No, it's got allegory. It's got poetic language. But the context always dictates to us how uh, we are to understand the framework of a portion of Scripture. 
And when I read Genesis chapter 3, I don't read one of Aesop's fables. I don't read a bedtime story. I read a literal historic narrative of what took place in the Garden of Eden. You see, if we'll really uh, grab hold of Genesis 1-1, we'll have no problem with the rest of the Word of God. If you believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then you ought not struggle with anything from that point on. It's no surprise to me that this took place the way that it did. Satan comes forth speaking lies. And there's three basic lies that he tells. Let me ask you this. How many of you believe there is such thing as a satanic conspiracy? I most certainly believe there is a satanic conspiracy, or as the Bible calls it, a mystery of iniquity. Satan is working in this world. Uh, If you don't believe that, read your Bible, because the Bible says he's the God of this world. He is working in this world. It's not by accident that Christians are hated the way they are. It's not by accident uh, that uh, infidels are exalted the way that they are. There is design behind that. Satan has a grand scheme and plan. I want to say that I'm thankful uh, that we don't just have the beginning of the book, but we've got the end of the book. We can see what happens to him. We know that though there may be very many battles to fight, the war has already been won. We know what will take place. It doesn't change the fact that Satan is at work and there is a satanic conspiracy that is afoot and that is taking place. It started all the way prior to the Garden of Eden when he exalted himself uh, against the Lord and it's going to continue until he's cast bound hand and foot into the lake of fire. And and the three lies that are told are the very foundation of this satanic conspiracy. In fact, you'll find that all heresy uh, will always find its root in one of these three lies, if not more than one. They form the basic uh, doctrinal treaty of Satan. I want us to notice them tonight. Uh, Now, notice with me. In uh, verse number two, or verse number one, excuse me, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. I want you to mark her down. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. The first lie that Satan tells in the Garden of Eden is this lie that the Scripture is flawed. This lie is still being perpetrated today. I think the greatest debate and greatest discussion probably in Christendom today is about the Bible. Do we have the Bible? What have we got if we've got the Bible? What does it mean to have the Word of God? Is the Word of God perfect or is the Word of God polluted? I'd have you know that this didn't start in the past hundred years. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, the very first lie that Satan ever tells is to say that the Word of God is imperfect and that the Word of God is not true. I'm interested in the language that he uses. You know, it'll help you to read your Bible. <laughs> I know that sounds smart-alecky, but I will. It'll help you to read your Bible. Uh, and not, not just to glance at your Bible, not just to skim your Bible, but it'll help you to read your Bible. And I find in this little phrase that Satan uses, I found three lies that he tells about the Scripture. I want you to notice them with me. I want you to notice, first off, the little word that he uses at the very beginning. He says, yay. Now, uh, there's two things I'd say about this. One is this, that oftentimes those that attack the Scripture try to approach us with an attitude of positivity. 
Have you ever noticed that in the, uh, in the modern Christian movement or modern Christianity movement, oh, everything's about positivity. But here's the funny thing. You can look at someone and you can tell them the gravest news and do it with a smile on your face, and there will be somebody thank you for telling them. Stop and think about what the implication is if folks tell us that our Bible is not perfect. They may say, well, those preachers that preach about the King James Bible, they're just narrow-minded. I may be narrow-minded, friend, but let me remind you that those that say the Word of God is not perfect are telling us we have no Bible. It may seem like a positive thing for them to say, hey, read anything that you want to read and believe it's the Word of God. But at the end of the day, they may be giving you choices in one sense, but in another sense, they're trying to rob you of your choice because they're trying to tell you that the Word of God does not exist today. I'd propose to you that just as the living Word is perfect, the written Word is perfect. I may be a simplistic preacher, but I believe that if the living Word could bear all of the sin of all humanity, could pay for it, come through the other side as righteous as He ever was, I tend to believe that God can preserve His Word. Don't you? I believe that the Word of God is perfect. Let me say it again. In case somebody's listened to the CD and they hit a bump in the road and their car skips and they don't hear me say it, let me say it again. I believe that the King James Bible is perfect. I don't believe there's a thing wrong with it. I hear lots of people telling me about all the problems in it, but I don't find anybody that will show me any problems in it. Oh, there are difficulties in the Word of God, sure, but there's no uh, disagreements and there's no discrepancies in the Word of God. There's no mistakes in the Word of God. I'd love for someone just to show me just one time. You know what they always say? They always say, oh, there's bunches of mistakes. I don't want you to show bunches. I I want you to show me one. Just one, and I'll be satisfied. Just one, and they've never been able to. But I think there's another sense, and really in a lot of ways a more accurate sense that we can understand this word, yay. And that is a word that's closely correlated with it. And it's the word moreover. Moreover. What Satan is saying is this. What God has said has already been said. And Satan is seeking to add his opinion to what God has said. In other words, could I say it this way? When Satan says, yay... When, he, when he's getting ready to preface his statements, what he's saying is this, there's more to the Word of God than you can understand. Let me say that the first lie that Satan seeks to do uh, to tell us about Scripture, and the first thing that he seeks to do is to complicate Scripture. There's always folks, I, and, and let me, I want to be careful with what I say, because I don't want to misrepresent my position on this matter. I, you know, I, I, I don't think if you... Listen, if you own a Strong's Concordance, God bless you, that's wonderful. I, I own more than I know what to do with. I mean, I'm using them to prop up my car when I change my oil, you know? There's nothing wrong with that. I, that that's fine. If you want to do that, that that's fine. I don't think that, that it is any disservice to the Scripture to try to have an understanding of what the Hebrew or Greek mean. That's fine. But let me say this. It's a short hop and a skip from that to changing your Bible with the Hebrew and the Greek. I believe we can gain some enlightenment. That, that's fine if you want to do that. But I, it, it's a short hop and a skip before you're starting to say what it ought to say. It's one thing to say, well, uh, we can understand it in this way. And by the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with my Bible, but I do think there's sometimes something wrong with my understanding. I absolutely believe that. I don't believe we ought to adjust the Bible to us, but I do believe we ought to adjust us to the Bible. Uh, 
But I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with saying, you know, I want to know more about it. But be very careful that you don't start to say, this is how it ought to read. This is what it ought to say. If you've got a Schofield Bible, uh, I'm right there with you. I've got one. You'll find times when, when Schofield says, omit this. You say, preacher, what do I do when I get there? You omit Schofield. That's what you do when you get there. Because Schofield ain't the Word of God. The King James Bible is the Word of God. Uh, it's a common thing today in seminaries. It really has been for a lot of years. Uh, for people to try to imply to their students that the King James Bible is insufficient to illuminate us to the truths of God. That what we really need is a four-year degree in Greek or in Hebrew to understand the Word of God. What they're saying is, hey, you've got your King James Bible, but there's a little more to it than you can understand. I believe this. And I'm going to tell you what I do in my personal study. I mean, there's times I'll look up a Hebrew word or a Greek word, and there's times it'll conflict with what my King James Bible says. Say, what do you do, preacher? I close my concordance, and I believe my King James Bible. Because you understand when, when you... I'm not fussing at you now. I've got more strong... I mean, listen, I'm throwing them at stray dogs that wander into my yard. But you understand you're just getting James Strong's opinion about that Hebrew or Greek word, don't you? You see, either we believe we have the Word of God or we don't. I believe there can be much help uh, learned in seeing what, what a Hebrew or Greek word means. And oftentimes it's interesting to see how that word is translated differently at different times in the Word of God. But I still believe my Bible is inspired. If there's a discrepancy between my Bible and my concordance, I throw away my concordance. I don't throw away my Bible. God didn't promise to preserve the Strong's Concordance or the Cruden's Concordance or the Young's Analytical Concordance. He promised to preserve His Word. And I believe He's preserved His Word. And you have folks telling us now that the only reason we're King James only is because we're just not enlightened enough. If we knew what they knew, then, then we'd be a lot better off. But here's the problem. When I see the folks that say that, that say, if you knew what I knew, you'd be a lot better off, I see that their music has gone down the drain. I see their standards have gone down the drain. I see nowhere that their church has gotten closer to being more Christ-like. If anything, it's gotten looser. The truth is, one of the chief lies that Satan tries to perpetrate is he tries to complicate Scripture and tell us that we can't understand Scripture just by reading the Bible. If I can't understand it by reading the Bible, then I guess I'm just going to have to go without understanding it. This Bible is absolute or this Bible is obsolete. We've got to pick. And let me say this, that me, and, and in as much as I'm the pastor of Wall Ridge Baptist Church and, and, and its doctrinal leader, let me say this, Wall Ridge Baptist Church has chosen that, to, to support that the King James Bible is perfect. That's our positional stand as a church, you say, well, I don't know about that preacher. Well, you're not the pastor. I don't mean that in an ugly way, you understand. I'm just merely saying our church has taken that stand, and I believe we ought to stand on it. He tries to complicate Scripture. Well, I've made somebody mad, but I want you to notice the second thing. He tries to question Scripture. He says, yea, he's saying there's more to the story than you know. Yea, there's more to the story than you know. Then he says... Hath God said? Boy, that sounds like professors that I've heard before. Is that really what God meant? Again, I mean, I'm ignorant, you know. I'm, I'm kind of hillbilly, but I just kind of think if God meant something different, He'd have said it different. 
I mean, I, I know that's simplistic. I know that won't fly in our institutions of higher uh, education and lower living, but that's the reality of it. God's capable of saying exactly what He means and meaning exactly what He says. There again, though, I don't think this is a product of man's ingenuity. I believe this is a product of God's inspiration. So I have no trouble with that. But he always tries to question Scripture. Uh, Part of the reason that the church is in such disarray today, and I'm not going to take the time to do it, but you go back and you study the social situation of the church ever since 1882. 1882 was when Westcott and Hort uh, published their Greek text and uh, when they published the revised version of the Bible. And you watch what has happened to the church from 1882 to 2015. You'll find that every time that a step was taken further away from a belief in the verbal, plenary, complete, and perfect inspiration of the Word of God, the church was always taking a step down in its standards. The home has never been destroyed as much as it has. You know why? The Word of God gives us the answer. If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? You take the Bible away from us, what are we going to preach? Well, preachers start preaching social issues and newspaper headlines and and all sorts of things because they don't have a Bible they can preach anymore. They have no conviction in what they're saying. Let me tell you something. The things I say, they may come and go and they may burn up as the grass of the field, but the Word of God abideth forever. When I preach the Bible to you, I'm preaching something divine. I'm preaching something to you that's authoritative. I'm preaching something to you that uh, though a thousand emperors and kings and preachers and professors may curse its very existence, they'll never destroy it. It's settled forever in heaven, O Lord. I'm preaching something that will stand the test of time. Emperors have been destroyed. Empires have fallen and risen But this Bible still stayed true. You don't have to doubt the Word of God. Quickest way for your kids to die and go to hell, to raise them for the the devil and to raise them for the world, is to tell them that you don't have a Bible. To tell them that they can't really trust what the Word of God says. By the way, I know there's folks say, well, now tell me something. This is the axiom of ignorance. I mean, this is the pinnacle. I hear people say all the time, well, I believe we have the Word of God, but I don't believe we have the words of God. Let me tell you something. You have to be very, very careful with how people say things. People, You know what they mean when they say we have the Word of God, but not the words of God. They, they say, they're saying that I believe that the ideals of Scripture are preserved, but I don't believe that the very words and details of Scripture have been preserved. I have a very limited understanding of the English language. I'm just honest with you. But I do know this. If, 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 if my concept is right... I understand that just as ideals determine words, words define ideals. We can't have the Word of God unless we have the words of God. It's very simple. And some folks would say, well, you know, I I, I believe the big things. Well, who are you to decide? Who am I to decide? Hey, it it, it may be some what what some would call obscure verse in the book of Leviticus, or in one of the minor prophets. And by the way, uh, man liveth by every word of God, so it's all important. But, but I understand what they, they may say. Well, it's some non-essential, unconsequential verse. But who are they to decide that? It could be John 3.16 that's not true, right? 
No, we know that the entire Word of God is perfect, preserved, and true. And then notice, thirdly, first he seeks to complicate Scripture, then he seeks to question it, but then he seeks to criticize it. Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, here's the funny thing about that false positivity. Did you notice the way that the devil said it? He said it very specifically. He could have said this. Hath God said that you can eat of every tree except one? But that's not what he said. He said, hath God said that you're not to eat of every tree in the garden? Isn't that interesting? The way he says it, he frames a positive thing in a negative framework. Right after he got through framing a negative thing in a positive framework. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible's true when it says the serpent is more subtle than any beast of the field. He could have said it this way. He could have said, you're telling me that God's given you this whole garden to eat from and only barred you from one tree? That's not what he said. What he said is God's put you in this garden and He's put limits upon you. And how, how dare He do such a thing? Funny thing about it, friend, every time God says no about something, what He's doing is protecting you. We, we get to be real victims over, over this whole living for Christ thing sometimes. You know, we get real, real down in the face and sad and everything. We can't go out and live the way the world does and, and go out and do the things that the world does. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a Christian school, you know, and, and we really, we thought we was in prison, you know. I mean, we, and this, this is what every Christian school kid says. They say, I just don't want to be sheltered. No, no, you don't want to be sheltered. No, you want to be laying in a gutter somewhere with a needle in your arm like them kids that wasn't sheltered, right? You, you want to be out there, you, 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 want, you want to have kids and not know who the daddy is out there, that, right? That, that's what we want, right? What the devil's trying to do is say, how dare God put restrictions on you? He's criticizing the Word of God. He's saying the Word of God's not good for you. The Word of God is too negative. The Word of God is too judgmental. I'd have you know that the judge of all the earth will always do right. It's his place. It's his right. And I, I just got this feeling. I've got this feeling if God was really to tell me everything he thought about me at times, I'd be awful ashamed. I've got a feeling that if God was to get real honest with me about the areas where I'm not living for him, I'd be really put to shame. Sometimes I think when God deals with our hearts, sometimes he's just dealing with big things to try to get us right with him till he can deal with us about the small things. I'm saying that God has a right to judge me because he's my judge. He's my judge. You hear people say all the time, well, the Bible says judge not that you be not judged. You know how you hush people up that say that? You say, hey, where's that found? They can't give you chapter and verse. They're just telling you something they read on Facebook. Bunch of nonsense. Well, I know the Bible says that. I know the Bible says, Judge not that you be not judged. It also goes on to say, For with what measure you mete out judgment, it shall be meted out unto you. So, in other words, there's coming a day when the Bible says that the books will be opened. When I judge by the Word of God, I'm just doing what God's doing. When I'm judging by the Word of God, and by the way, the Bible says that the righteous, uh, that the spiritual man judgeth all things. All things. Oh, yeah, it's easy if someone spouts something off on a little status or spouts something off in an email or, or some smart aleck to say something real quick in the midst of an argument. But the truth of the matter is this. God has every right to judge us. 
And as a Christian, while we ought not be unkind to people, and we ought not be hypocritical to people, and we ought not be condescending to people, we have every right to make a biblical judgment about the things that they're doing. I found this, and I said it this morning, you can't make anyone do anything. Most of the time when I make a judgment about someone and they don't like it, you know what they do? They walk on and go ahead and do what they want anyway. That's just the truth of the matter. My judgment hasn't dissuaded them. And I, you hear people say all the time, well, you're going to run them off. You're going to run, hey, if they're leaving, they're leaving whether I try to stop them or not anyway. That's just the truth of the matter. If we've got to keep folks, man, this isn't even what I was going to preach on. If we've got to keep folks through those doors by compromising, let them go. Let them go. Because let me tell you something. What you draw people with is what people expect out of you. And you draw people with a bunch of, a bunch of liberal nonsense, you're just going to have to keep going more and more liberal to keep them there. I'd rather preach the Word of God and let that draw on. Because we can never be too biblical, amen? I want the kind of church where my people, when the preaching time comes, they say, Preach! Preach! And the harder I preach, they say, Preach! As long as it's the Word of God. As long as it's the Word of God. So we see the first lie that he tells us that Scripture is flawed. Notice the second thing with me. Uh, Notice what he says. He says this to them in verse number 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Ye shall not surely die. The first thing he tries to claim is that Scripture is flawed. I still believe the Bible's perfect. But the second lie that he seeks to tell is that sin is harmless. That sin is harmless. I told you that these three are the foundational principles of the satanic conspiracy and the mystery of iniquity. And the first thing Satan has to do if he's going to perpetrate anything in this world is cause people to doubt the Word of God. But the second thing he's got to do is to cause them to believe that sin will not harm them. And notice three lies that he told them. I want you to notice first off, he told a lie about the pain of sin. That's the very substance of what he's saying. Ye shall not surely die. In other words, sin's not going to hurt you. Sin is not a harmful thing. Well, let me tell you something. Turn on your TV sometime and tell me that that's not the message of the world that we live in. I mean, they don't... I, I just wish... Man, I just wish for once. And, they, and they've started doing it with some things, but they still won't do it with liquor. I just wish one time... Listen now. Hey, if this, if, if this upsets you, then, then you probably ought to be upset about it. They, they'll show the, the skin-clad women. They'll show the parties. They don't show the other side of what liquor does to a person. Go with me to the hospital when we get out of church, and we'll go see people whose, whose livers have literally been eat away. We'll talk about what alcohol does. Go with us down, down to the women's shelter, and we'll talk about what alcohol does. Alcohol is still sin. The Bible's still explicit about that wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I hear people say all the time, well, you know, a little wine for your stomach's sake. Oh, yeah, and that's what you do. A lot of times when you get sick, you take a little NyQuil, am I right? At that time, that was uh, the only medicinal thing. Uh, that they had. But let me go a, a step further and tell you what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, that we're not even to look on it. We're not even to look on it. And we, man, I'm getting ready to preach messages I've preached before, and, I, and I'm not going to do that. I, I'm, I don't believe the Holy Ghost wants me to. But let me just say this. You don't see the other side of it. They don't show you. They don't show you the woman beat half to death. 
They don't show you the babies starving because their daddies drank away or their mamas drank away their food. They don't show you that. The whole premise is to tell you that sin won't harm you. It won't harm you. You hear all the time, man, I mean, they, they, they peddle illicit promiscuity like you wouldn't believe. But they don't go and show you that mama trying to raise a baby on her own. They don't show you that. They don't go and show you her trying to work two, three jobs just to keep that baby fed. They don't show you that. Sin still has consequences. Sin will always have consequences. Sin is a harmful thing. So the first thing he tells them a lie about is about the pain of sin. Notice the second thing, though. He tells them a lie about the promise of sin. You say, sin has a promise. Oh, sin has a promise. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And notice what he says. And, I, and maybe I'm reading something emphatic in here that, that isn't there, but I, I believe it's in our Bible here. He says, ye shall not surely die. In other words, I believe Satan is conceding that there's a possibility, but he's trying to deny that there's probability. Or we would say even a certainty. He's trying to say the rules don't apply to you. Man, there's, there's not a drunk out there but what they was going to be a social drinker. There's not a drug addict out there but what they was just going to use one or two times. There's not a prostitute out there but what she said, well, I'm just going to uh, open my bed one time. The truth of the matter is, sin always gets its claws in you, and it pulls you in, and it drags you in. And there's a promise to sin. There's a promise that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how good you think you are. You know, the environment I grew up in, I was a church kid. I was a church kid. I was in church my whole life. Sometimes church kids, they get the idea that the rules don't apply to them. They get the idea that I'll be okay. I've got a good mama and daddy or, or mama and papa, and I'll be okay. Now, let me tell you something. I don't care who you are. If sin gets a hold of your life and gets a foothold, it'll wreck you. It doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter who your pastor is. Sin can wreck you and ruin you just like it can anyone else. I'd imagine this. I don't know. But I I think this probably went through Eve's mind. And I'm using a little sanctified imagination, so you forgive me. But, But she probably thought this. Well, surely God wouldn't kill me. I'm the only woman in the world. Surely God wouldn't kill me and Adam. We're the only people in the world. We're His creature. Surely He wouldn't kill me. Surely sin wouldn't. Surely God wouldn't do that to me. But now here's the problem. You always imagine it's God doing it to you. But sin has intrinsic consequences. Sin has effects. And sin will always, I promise you, you may try to put it off as long as you can, but sin will always come for its payday and will always bring its pain. Notice a third thing. I thought this was interesting. As I, as I read this, I, I wanted to have an understanding sort of, of of what that word surely meant. And something I found interesting, the word die that's used here is actually found two times in this phrase, if you just look at it in Hebrew. It's found two, two times that word for death is mentioned. And one person said it this way, and I believe God said it the right way, but I do believe this gives us a little perspective, that it's almost implied, dying thou shalt die. Or when you die, you're going to die. Could I say this, that I think in this passage, the death that God is talking about, and by the way, in chapter number 2, This is a direct quotation from chapter number 2 when he says, Thou shalt surely die. 
I believe that God was implying more than just a natural death. Now, we can fuss and fight about this, but I don't believe... I believe that Adam was going to die a physical death whether he ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil or not. I believe he was still going to die a physical death. I believe until he ate of the tree of life, which was also in the Garden of Eden, until that point, he would have died a physical death. And you'll notice whenever, and this isn't my message, but whenever God bars them from the garden, the reason God gives is he says, lest he eat of the tree of life. I believe that what would have happened if Adam had eaten of the tree of life after he had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is he would have lived in a perpetually sin-fallen state. I believe he would not have died. And so God removed him from the garden so that he could not harm himself. I believe Adam was going to die, but here's the difference. I believe Adam was headed for the first death either way. But there's two deaths that are mentioned here. And I believe he's talking about the second death. Dying, thou shalt die. When death comes, you're going to die. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then when death comes, Adam, you're going to die. You know, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter number 20, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. I believe that the devil told a lie about the punishment of sin or the penalty of sin. You know what I believe he was really trying to say to Adam? He was trying to say, Adam, there are no eternal consequences if you eat of this tree. I believe what he was really trying to say to Eve was, Eve, go ahead and eat of this tree. It won't harm you one bit. Can I say to you that there's still a hell? I know folks don't like to preach on it. I know it's not popular. I know it doesn't fill auditoriums and it doesn't get you a place in most conferences. But the Bible still teaches a real, literal hell and a real, literal lake of fire. And it is the eternal destiny of those that die without Christ. It's still where lost sinners go when they die. I don't believe that it's a parable in Luke chapter number. 16. I don't believe it's a parable. You say, why? Because God never said it was a parable. I had a Jehovah's Witness preacher tell me one time, he said, that's a parable. says it right there. And we was in a restaurant, and I said, well, he said, do you have a Bible? I said, yeah, I've got a Bible. He said, go get it. And I got up to get it, and he put his hand on my shoulder and set me back down. He didn't want me to go get the Bible. You know what scares cults more than anything is the Word of God. You see, he understood this, that the Bible doesn't say it was a parable because it's not a parable. He He uses names in that story. That tells you it's not a parable. If the Bible tells me that there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, then I'm to believe there's a certain beggar named Lazarus. If I'm to believe there's a certain beggar named Lazarus, then I'm to believe that there was a certain rich man. If I'm to believe there's a certain rich man, then I'm to believe that there's a certain hell that he's in even tonight. And Satan's greatest lie is not to cause people to worship him, but to just simply cause them to disbelieve what the Bible says about salvation and hell and the cross of Christ. Let me give you a third thing, and I'll hush and close. we got food, and I know you're anxious to get over there, and I am too. Amen. But notice the next phrase, verse number 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, Ye shall be as gods, 
knowing good and evil. The first lie that Satan sought to tell people, and it's the very foundation of, of his satanic conspiracy, is that Scripture is flawed. The vast majority of people that profess Christ today do not believe that we have a perfect Bible. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. If we don't have a perfect Bible, then we don't have a Bible at all. But then he sought to tell them that sin is harmless. And even in the church today, we spend more time making excuses for people's sin than we do preaching against sin. And we wonder why things are in such a mess. But then there's a third thing. His third lie that he sought to tell was that self is divine. That self is divine. Let me say it in a quick... Well, it's not a quick word, but let me say it in in a phrase that I used this morning. Secular humanism. The idea that mankind is divine, mankind is God. This has been perpetrated throughout all of society. This notion that I am the God of my life and I can make my own choices. And he did this by saying three things. Notice the first thing he did was he sought to degrade God's intentions. He said, for God doth know. What's he trying to say? He's saying that what God told you was a lie, and thereby he couldn't really... Because the Bible says, God who cannot lie. So if the devil says God's a liar, then he's saying God is not God. You see, he can't enthrone man until he dethrones God. And he says, God doth know, but he's lied to you, Adam and Eve. He's lied to you because he knows what will happen if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This again, and it's interesting that this same truth is echoed twice in this passage. A disbelief in the Word of God. But it goes even further than that. He's questioning God's love for them. He's saying God doesn't really want what's best for you. This is still the the mantra today. In fact, you'll find that most preaching about prayer uh, portrays God as someone that is obstinate and does not want to give His people what they need. And prayer is being the wrestling match and means of getting from God that which He does not want to give us. That's entirely false. The reason there's certain things God doesn't want to give us is because they harm us and they hurt us and they destroy us. And if we'd just be satisfied with what God would seek to give us, we'd be a lot better off. He's got to degrade God's intent. He's got to make God out to be the bad guy. He's got to make God out to be the mean person. They say the average child believes about God the Father what he believes about his earthly father. But I would go a step further and say this, that humanity would seek, or or Satan would seek through humanity for us to believe that God is out to get us. Oh yeah, God's out to get you. He was out to get you when you were lost and undone and couldn't rescue yourself. He was out to get you when you were a sinner, hopeless and helpless. He was out to get you when your life was broken and your heart was broken. And if you're saved tonight, that means He got you. And what happened when He got you? He got you and He saved you and He put you back together. What makes you think God's out to harm you? God wants what's best for you. The first thing He does is seek to degrade God's intentions. Notice the second thing He does is He seeks to deify carnal enlightenment. What he says is this, then, in other words, if you'll sin, then and only then will your eyes be open. Then and only then will your eyes be open. There's nothing as promoted and as touted today 
as carnal experience. Being a person of the world. Being someone that's been everywhere and done everything. Let me tell you something. And, I, and again, I say this as a Christian school kid. There was things I got into that I shouldn't have. And I did things that I wish I didn't. But there's a lot of things in my life I'm glad that I was kept from. A lot of things in my life that I'm glad my parents watched me like a hawk. A lot of things in my life I'm glad that I was able to be sheltered from. And the mantra today is that if we just knew a little bit more, if we just understood a little bit more, let me tell you something. We have made a God out of education. I believe a man ought to be educated. There's nothing wrong with that. Most people that I know are too dumb as it is. Amen? I mean, isn't that true? You won't say amen because you think I might be talking about you. Most people are too dumb. I I get that. I'm not against education. I believe a person ought to be educated. But we have made an idol. We've made a God out of education. You see parents pushing their kids into horrible environments just so they can get an education. God help us. You see, I mean, listen, you see folks uh, leaving the church that God has, has called them to so that they can go out and get an education. I'll tell you what my pastor told me when I was growing up. I came to him one time and I said, uh, Brother Bob, I, I just feel like maybe I ought to go to Bible college. And he said, don't go, it'll ruin you. He said, because you're already serving God. What a bunch of nonsense. If a person feels called of God... Uh, to be in, and they're already in ministry, and they're already serving God, for them to leave and to go to a place where they're not going to serve and to get an education. I, I'll tell you what I had a Bible college student tell me one time. He said this. He said, I just feel like this is not a serving time in my life. I feel like this is a learning time in my life. God gave me just a, just a glimpse of wisdom when he said that. And I said, let me tell you what the Bible says, young man. The Bible, uh, Christ said this, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You serve when you're learning, and you learn when you're serving. But we made a God out of education. This notion, if we can just be a little smarter, then we throw our Bibles away. Oh, that's kind of smart. I don't want to be, man. Old Leonard Ravenhill used to say that a lot of these professors out here, they got all these degrees. He said, that don't mean nothing. Thermometer's got 32 degrees, and it's still frozen solid. I'm not against it. I'm just saying this, that we need to be careful that we don't deify enlightenment. And, and we don't need to buy this lie that the world is telling us that the reason we believe we've got a perfect Bible is just because we're ignorant. Just because we're... You know that the 54 men that God used to translate your King James Bible that you've got in your hand, the 54 men that God used were of, of a status of brilliance that no man walking this earth is today. I'm talking about, I'm talking about folks that would have made uh, Stephen Hawking look like he ought to be on Sesame Street. I'm talking about men that that when they died, Lancelot Andrews, when he died, was conversant in 15 languages. And they tell us we need to throw away our Bible because we don't know Hebrew and Greek. Conversant. You know what that means. I mean, that don't just mean he knew a little here and there. I asked a guy one time, you bearing with me, am I okay? We're okay. I asked a guy one time, a guy had come to help, uh, help out at the church that I was going to, and, uh, and he was a Greek student. And he, he, he was, I mean, man, he was proud, you could tell. And, uh, and he, you know, he snapped his suspenders and spun his bow tie, and he said, I've been taking Greek for three years. He says, you have? He said, yes. I said, well, say something to me in Greek. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, well, I can't see anything in Greek. 
I said, well, write something in Greek for me. He said, well, I can't really write something in Greek. I said, well, read something for me that's in Greek. He said, well, I can't really read. I said, what can you do? He said, I can use a concordance. <laughs> that's a bunch of nonsense. Let me tell you something. The men that God used to translate this King James Bible, Lancelot and conversant, meaning he could sit here and talk better than I'm talking to you in English. He could sit here and talk to you in 15 different languages. Fifteen! I'm talking about men. They didn't just translate from Hebrew and Greek into English. I'm talking about men that could translate from Greek into Latin, into English, into German, into a multitude of languages. Don't, don't let anybody tell you that your King James Bible is dumb. Don't let anybody tell you that you've got to know more languages so that you can understand your Bible. Men that knew more languages than an entire seminary department put together are the ones that gave you this King James Bible. Don't you ever be ashamed of it. I don't even know where I was at, but man, I... The Lord knows. The Lord knows. He sought to deify carnal and light and said, Then you'll know and you'll quit following God. And they say to us today, if we just knew a little more... We'd throw away this Bible. If that's the case, I don't want to know more. And then notice the final thing. He tried to get them to declare self-independence. He says, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know what he was saying? Saying, if you'll eat of this tree of knowledge, good and evil, then God won't be able to tell you what to do anymore. You'll decide what's right. You'll decide what's wrong. Boy, that, that's the mantra, man. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. i got news for you, friend. There's coming a day when every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess. And that's yours and that's mine. That's the President of these United States. That's every, that's every Pope that's ever lived. Their knee's going to bow. That's everybody is going to bow the knee. So you might as well just get real comfortable with the fact that God's in charge. Because he's going to be in charge throughout all eternity. So you better get real comfortable with that. Satan would seek to have us declare our independence from God. Say, God, I don't need you anymore. Lord, I can do things my way. I know what's best for my life. I want to give you a bit of pastoral truth tonight because I love you. You don't know what's best for your life. I don't know what's best for mine. Because... No man knows what tomorrow may bring. Nobody. I don't know and you don't know. So we've got to trust in Him who holds tomorrow. We've got to trust in Him that knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. We've got to trust in Him who's the author and finisher of our faith. Satan would have us strike out in self-independence. Say, God, I don't need you anymore. But let me tell you something. In that very moment, before they made that decision, they needed God more than they had ever needed Him before. And it could be tonight that Satan's been whispering some of these things in your ear. It could be that Satan is... He may be guilting you over the fact that you believe we have a perfect Bible. You just tell him to hush. He's a liar anyway. It, it could be It could be that Satan's been tempting you with sin and trying to get you to do something wrong, telling you it won't harm you. I'm going to tell you tonight, it'll harm you every time, every time, every time. Or it could be tonight that Satan has been trying to get you to strike out in independence, make a decision contrary to what God has shown to you. Let me warn you against that and simply say this, that the first man and woman that ever did it spiraled man into depravity. I don't believe that will happen if you do that. 
but I do believe it will spiral your life down the wrong, the wrong way. Don't buy the lie and don't believe the lie of the devil. He's a liar from the beginning. He seeks to destroy you. You just stay faithful to the Lord and to His Word.